You're listening to Threads Radio. My name's Luke Fraser, and this is The Tonic.
time and space rendered with the utmost subtlety. That's an excerpt there from Giuseppe Zarlino, Mark Sabat's 70-odd minute piece from 2015, written for variable instrumentation as directed on the score. He's a Canadian composer of Ukrainian descent based in Berlin, whose music, minimal at least in some sense of that sometimes unhelpfully catch-all term, explores the sonic potential of different tuning systems, always a subject to get the pulse racing. And he often brings theoretical and historical ideas to life through writing and performance. His pieces are really sonic disquisitions in this sense. Without getting overly bogged down in the technicalities, Giuseppe Zarlino was a Renaissance music theorist, writing in a time before the establishment and subsequent dominance of equal temperament, the tuning system the Western world has inherited and become naturalized in to such a degree that we are barely even aware of its existence anymore. Earlier systems cleaved more closely to the natural harmonic or overtone series of notes produced by strings and so on, and so in them intervals, i.e. the distance between one note and another, were based on whole number ratios, producing harmony sounding purer, quote-unquote, or certainly more resonant, anyhow. In this pre-standardized world, there were a multiplicity of approaches to tuning that varied across time and place. Now, perhaps unsurprisingly, in view of their being surpassed by equal temperament, there were significant drawbacks to such systems, but that's a story for another day. Anyway, Zarlino proposed something he called the scenario, in which the system of tones and semitones, as found in the conventional Western scale, was augmented by distinguishing two types of tone, the major tone and minor tone, where the latter is slightly smaller than the former. Putting the maths aside, the effect was to create a harmonic world that subtly expanded upon the norms of the day, extra pitches effectively, and with them extra tonal colour. That's essentially, on paper at least, what Mark Sabat is exploring through this piece. The distinctions in pitch are often very subtle. I found that for much of the piece I really have to bend my ear to them. But as with other music that explores different tunings, it can sometimes be felt to open up a new semantic world in sound, providing a parallel history to the one we've come to know. It's as though all the familiar words we use were suddenly spelled and pronounced slightly differently. And so alongside the experience of the work, we gain a sense of the often arbitrary or at least circumstantial forking of history. But the joys of tuning aside, and to come back to that term minimalism again, this piece also gives us a definition of it in perhaps the more conventionally understood sense as the gradual alteration and unfolding of musical materials over time. It's hard to get a complete sense from an excerpt, apologies there, but listening over the course of an hour plus gives an experience arising from the subtle changes of instrumentation and melodic line, not unlike experiencing the almost imperceptible changing conditions of light over time. It's also sculptural music, music to inhabit. It doesn't work over you, and it's not narrative in any sense, functioning instead as something to move towards and be part of yourself through active awareness. There are often quite strong biases in the way we think about music, Good music should command our attention and not be mere scenery or background. But it strikes me that these perspectives often assume a passive listener. If we engage actively, the smallest of details becomes interesting. That was performed by Mark Sabat and the brilliantly named 
Harmonic Space Orchestra, and the album is of the same name, Giuseppe Zarlino, and was released on the label Sacred Realism earlier this year.
something a bit different there for seven musicians and two Inuit throat singers and based on a series of traditional Inuit songs that's four movements from Take the Dog Sled written in 2008 by Canadian composer Alexina Louis. Those movements were tundra, sharpening the runners on the dog sled, the river and great dog sled journey keep going. The piece came about as part of the Montreal Symphony Orchestra's first tour of Nunavik in Quebec's far north. The other piece in the programme 
was Stravinsky's L'Histoire de Soldat, or Soldier's Tale, which was actually performed in Inuticut, the principal language of the Inuit in Canada. So this defined the instrumentation for Take the Dog Sled as well, the narrator in Stravinsky being swapped out for the throat singers here. And I think you can definitely hear echoes of the Stravinsky piece in this one for this reason. The Esprit Ensemble, which you heard in that recording, toured around Nunavik via a small twin-engine plane, which left very limited space for instruments. And the piece is a great example, I think, of how a specific limitation can prove to be a point of creative focus for an artist. Alexina Louis usually writes for a lot of percussion instruments, so she had to be pretty resourceful here in writing for a single player only, replacing marimba with a set of bottles, for example, and using two tuned rocks that you heard at the start of the movement. She said that the main challenge of the work was integrating fully the sound world of two great traditions, Western orchestral and Inuit. And she seems to have found a way into Inuit culture by connecting with the remarkable throat singer Evie Mark, one of the two you heard there. Through Evie Mark, Alexina Louis says, I began to understand the challenges that the Inuit have faced, the extreme cold, their dependence on the land for survival, the hunting expeditions they undertook each season to bring back food for their families and communities. Evie is such a remarkable human being. She shared with me so many stories. I took these stories into my consciousness and turned them over in my mind. I think the piece is really fun and joyful. There's a lightheartedness there, but also a steeliness and a sense of physicality of life in the north, along with something I think of a mystical quality that such a landscape seems to evoke. It was performed by Evie Mark and Akinesi's Severopic, along with the Esprit Orchestra, conducted by Alex Pork. And it's taken from the album of the same name, Take the Dog Sled, which was released on Center Discs a little earlier this year.
fusion, so often a dirty word, but no need. That's pretty gorgeous in my view. It's the first movement, the Alap Rag Mishru Pilu from Shirish Chords Double Concerto Svarayantra, written in 2006. He was born in Uganda to Indian parents, but has been based in the US since the 60s. Through his upbringing, he gained knowledge of the traditions of both Indian and East African music, and then in the States, he studied jazz at Berklee College of Music, along with composition and analysis and ethnomusicology. As a composer, he's become known for works like this that integrate and synthesize the music of different cultures, many others alongside Indian. And as with the Persian folk songs by Reza Valley that I played in the last show, I think there's just something to be said for just how well blended the elements are in this piece. It was written for the virtuoso violinist Johanna Kirkovitz, who you heard there, and also the master tabla player Samir Chatterjee. You don't hear the tabla until the second movement though. Sorry, Samir. In Indian music, Svaro refers to pitches of the scale and also translates as audible sound. And a yantra is a geometric diagram, usually constructed from intersecting triangles and circles, which is used to harness the mind in meditation. Shirish Kaur has written that the piece represents three sonic structures or diagrams, which are conceived as devices for meditation through sound. It's based on the Alap Jor Jala Ghat structure of North Indian classical music, and that's Hindustani music, with that first movement being the Alap, a drawn-out improvisatory movement set over a drone without a regular sense of pulse. There's just a great lyricism about the violin writing that really stood out for me. It's full of colour and brilliant melodic inflection that would put any European Baroque virtuoso to shame. As mentioned, that was performed by Johanna Kirkowitz, and she was accompanied by the National Polish Radio Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Ruben Silva. It's taken from the album of the same name, Svara Yantra, and that was released on Neuma in 2007.
Now, who doesn't love a good bit of counting? That's Numbers, written last year by Shruti Rajasika. She's an Indian-American composer and vocalist who's had a long training in the Carnatic music tradition of South India, in large part, I think, via her mother, the renowned veena player Nimala Rajasika. And the veena is a plucked stringed instrument, not wholly unlike the sitar, I think. But Shruti studied Western music at Princeton in the States, and ethnomusicology at SOAS as well during a stint in the UK. Shout out to everyone in the music department at SOAS. That piece, Numbers, has made some waves over the last year, having been a top 10 pick on both The Guardian and Spotify, and I'm sure it must go down pretty well live. It makes reference to three counting systems, decimal, sexagesimal, that's base 60, hence I think the 59 references, and digital, the ones and zeros of our computationalist electronic overlords. I'd be interested to know if there are relations between the numbers and pitches in that piece and how they're mapped. Well, I guess I should probably just go back and listen to it again, eh? Here's one more short piece from Shruti, along very different lines, along with her introduction. In the final week of June 2019, two stories catapulted the US-Mexico border crisis into international headlines. One graphically reported the deaths of a father and his two-year-old daughter, Valeria, who drowned in the Rio Grande. The other told the story of young Gurupreet, a six-year-old girl who journeyed all the way from India, only to die in the Arizona desert. We were stunned to our core by these two stories, but this is an old tale. The non-profit organization Border Angels estimates that over the last 25 years, 10,000 people seeking a new life in the US have died whilst crossing the border. This treacherous region's harsh elements are only one embodiment of the hatred the US holds towards illegal aliens. The entire Western world holds migrants in contempt, but the tension in America is uniquely characterized by the history of the land, stolen, claimed, exchanged, and annexed before it was proudly incorporated into a nation proclaiming freedom. The border is a wound that never ceases to bleed. The short lives of Valeria and Gurupreet shook something in me, something that had become numb to tragedy. Suddenly, I was angry. Angry at death, angry at politicians, angry at adults, angry at those who dissected the issue, angry at those who didn't, angry with myself for complacency and avoidance. The resulting poem and piece began with Valeria and Gurupreet, but inevitably includes my experiences as an Indian-American second-generation immigrant, and the journeys and hardships of so many others. The title of this piece, Did You Know, means Were You Complicit? But it asks another question. Time and time again, our ancestors haven't prevented atrocity because it was not their issue to be solved. 
where we continue the cycle. set to a text written by herself. That's Did You Know by Shruti Rajasika. That, along with Numbers, was performed by the National Youth Choir of Great Britain and the NYCGB Fellowship Octet, conducted by Ben Parry. 
and they're taken from the album Young Composers Scheme on the label NMC that was released this year.
that sends a bit of a chill through the air. A classic there from perhaps Norway's most famous composer after Grieg. That's Solitaire, written in 1968 by Arne Nordheim. And whilst perhaps not being that widely known outside of Norway or beyond quite specialist audiences, his influence on both acoustic and particularly electronic music is significant. And fun fact, 3457 on Nordheim, a minor planet, that's something between a comet and a normal planet, circling the sun in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, was named in his honour after its discovery in 1985. How many composers can lay claim to something like that? He originally studied in Oslo, but travelled to Paris to study music concrete, to Bilthoven in the Netherlands, and to the Studio Experimentalen of Polish Radio in Warsaw, where many of his early electronic works were conceived from the late 60s through to the early 70s. He apparently had a fascination for the then new Polish composers, such as Penderewski and Lutoslawski, so perhaps this was part of the attraction for him, and his music certainly has something of those composers' use of massed sonic textures. At the time, I guess Poland was seen as one of the less repressive Eastern Bloc states, but the late 60s were still turbulent. Warsaw is there, I think, said Nordheim, with his music, audible in the shock, the poetry, and the silence. And Solitaire, described by him as the first real piece I made in a studio, takes its subject and title from Baudelaire's pretty steamy poem Les Bijoux from Le Fleur de Mal, lots of naked flesh and ornate jewellery, with the title itself referenced in the poem being the name of the most austere diamond setting, where all of the stone's sides are open and refract light. It can also be translated as loneliness though, leaving it open to an interpretation of solitude and alienation two themes which seem to have preoccupied Nordheim continually. The poem must have been fertile territory, large parts of it contain sonorous references, and the music capitalises upon that. All those clanking metallic sounds you can hear are described in the poem, along with the processing of the voice which recites it. Never so distinct that we can actually comprehend whole sentences or words, instead just timbres and colours. The overall effect for me is more that of the loneliness and austerity of the sonic landscape than sensuousness as such, but each to their own, I suppose. And that was most recently re-released on the album Electric on the label Rune Gramophone in 2018.
It takes great skill, I think, to write simple music that is both engaging and free of cliché. That's Too Good Vene or Too Good Friends, written in 2006 by Norwegian composer Bertel Palmer Johansson. And written for young musicians who, in the composer's words, also need an alternative to Vivaldi and the Beatles. Now, they may have found other options already, I guess, but it's certainly always welcome to have music composed for younger musicians to play that's engaging without being specifically, well, you know, kids' music. He says, children and young people are a very demanding target group, dangerous even, to write music for. They show no mercy. It's take it or leave it. The music has to trigger something in them almost immediately. If not, it's game over. It's exciting to give them something new too, maybe a weird sound or a melodic direction they haven't heard before. And that's definitely in evidence through the 40 pieces in this collection, composed I think over a few decades and comprising solo pieces and duets for piano, violin, guitar and cello in various combinations. The stylistic range is broad, from the unaffected folk of the opening piece through blues and modern classical, where some of those strange chords, weird harmonies and uneven rhythms creep in. And hearing those styles ebb and flow over the course of the album was actually just quite a refreshing listening experience for me. Overall, it seems to be about the simple pleasures of music making, and who can argue with that? It was performed by Marianne Thorson on violin, Oivind Gimser, cello, Jarl Stromdahl, guitar, and Mona Spixeth, piano. And it was taken from the album of the same name, Togod Venir, on the label Aura Phonogram, and that was released earlier this year. Okay, time to strap in.
bringing the doom core to the jewellery rattlers of the concert hall. That's Micro Lattice, written in 2016 by Becca Sims. She's a Canadian composer from Mount Pearl, Newfoundland, who's been carving out a name for herself with pieces of extreme sonic textures that often blend acoustic instruments with electronics, all across a freewheeling range of influences, from doom metal to Newfoundland folk song that seem to anarchically weave in and out of her music, and which reflect to me something of the chaos of modern listening. She describes her work as being filtered through the personal lens of her anxiety, and that foremost among her current interests is quotation and the friction between recognizability and complete obfuscation. That piece, Microlattice, plays out almost like an improvisation, albeit telepathically controlled. It's just a fabulously dark, brooding, and paranoid sound world. It's been described as a dynamic, menacing arrangement of guttural brass, stabbing piano, groaning upright bass, forlorn chimes, and percussion that slithers, skitters, and crashes like a serpent stalking prey through an antique store. Well, I'll take two. That was performed by Anthony Thompson on bass clarinet, Adam Skyme on double bass, Stephanie Chua, piano, Daniel Morphy, percussion, and they were conducted by Pratik Gandhi. And that was taken from Becca Sims' debut album, Impurity Chains, that was released on Center Discs in 2018.
there's something rather wistful about that. That is Alone Dancing, written in 2003 by Asha Srinivasan. She's an Indian-American composer, now based at Lawrence University in Wisconsin, I believe. Having grown up in India within a musical family, her mum is a professional Bollywood singer. She studied the Carnatic music and singing of South India before moving to the States and studying Western classical. And it's those two influences that she's focused on integrating in her music. That piece, Alone Dancing, I think was originally just a straight musical composition with a descriptive title, but it was then later choreographed for Solo Dancer. I kind of like it, half asleep with those retro synth sounds, half awake via the flute, and with those plaintive harmonies that poke through at several points in the piece. It was performed by Kyung Mi Lee on flute, with Asha Srinivasan providing the electronics. And it was taken from the album Collaboration 4 Ambiance on the label Beauport Classical, released in 2009. Just time for one more to close out this show, and it's over to the wild side again. Thank you. 
That's Just Wild, written by Ruth Backer. That's Sverre from 1992. She's a Norwegian organist, composer, and teacher from Bergen, where I think she's currently based, though she studied in Oslo and the States in between via a Fulbright scholarship. I thought that piece was originally a composition, but I actually found out that it's improvised. It's an exploration of the extreme range of sounds the instrument is capable of, from the massed clusters of the full organ to the ethereal sound of the pipes when the wind engine or blower, that's the electronically powered motor that drives pressurized air through the pipes, is turned off. There are some pretty crazy moments in it. Some of it sounds more like electronically produced sound than anything stemming from an acoustic instrument, and that's not something that many acoustic instruments can really lay claim to. If you've tuned into a few episodes of this show recently, you'll probably be aware that it's devolving into something of a weird organ music fan club. I shall not apologize, but I will let you know that there is some more great stuff in the pipeline. That was performed by Ruth Backer on organ, and it was taken from the album Larm, From Mouth to Cavity to Laptop, released on the label Kunning Disc in 2007. Okay, that's it for now. I will be back in 2021, which sounds weirdly futuristic, on the 20th of January, I believe, at 10 a.m. GMT. Thank you to Rosie and everyone else supporting at Threads. My name's Luke Fraser. Thanks for listening.